following subject matter is real and only intended for mature audiences. Discretion is advised. People are dead after deputies say a man went on a shooting rampage. I knew a week before she died I was going to kill her. I can tell you the scene out there is absolutely horrific. Nobody knows where this individual may strike next. This is 10-Minute Murder. Welcome to 10-Minute Murder, brief and bingeable true crime. My name is Joe, I'm the host, and thanks for joining today. And uh, today I haven't sprayed that singer's throat spray into my mouth yet. Um, For some reason, people don't believe me. People are like, no, apparently the word cap, you're capping, um, that's a thing that people say. When they say that you're not telling the truth, they tell you that you're capping. So to prove that I'm not capping, apparently... um, I've got the I've got it here and I will take off the lid and spray God, this stuff sucks. I'll spray it in my mouth and attempt to continue this podcast right after. So let's <coughs> Alright, it's in there. And it says to do it twice. I think once is enough, but it, the instructions Oh Jesus. The instructions say to do it twice. Um so that's what I've done. I've sprayed this stuff. And in case you're wondering, what in the world are you talking about? And what did you just spray? What did you just spray in your mouth? Um, long story short, in case you missed a previous episode where I talked about it, it's the singer's soothing throat spray. And no, I'm not singing, but I do talk a lot. And this is, is supposed to help with that. Um, it again, it soothes, moistens, and lubricates overworked throat tissues. And as you can tell, I'm a little stuffy today. Um, it's just part of being a person that suffers from allergies and talking too much. And no, I don't have COVID. I've been immunized, vaccinized. What is it? What is it called? Va- I've gotten the vaccine. All right. Um, so if you are new to this podcast, welcome. And I hope you subscribe. And, and if you do subscribe, you won't miss any future episodes of 10 Minute Murder. And then also you connect with 10 Minute Murder on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The links for those are in the show notes of this episode, or just as easily, you could type in 10 Minute Murder into the search bar, and you'll immediately find 10 Minute Murder. It's the first one and probably the only one that pops up. So let's get to today's story. Three decades ago, a whole family of five was wiped off the face of the earth in the name of religion. Cult leader Jeffrey Lundgren claimed the divine drove him to murder, but in the end, God, who he claimed to speak with, did not spare him. Jeffrey Lundgren was born on May 3, 1950, in Independence, Missouri, being the older of two sons of Donald and Lois Lundgren. The new parents were proud of their firstborn, who, according to those close to the family, was a handsome and quite smart little fellow. The family was highly religious, and Jeffrey grew up as a member of the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or a bit less wordy, RLDS Church. As expected from a proper traditional Mormon wife, Lois stayed at home and took care of the house and children while Don was involved in the construction business. When he was not working, the family spent much of their time at different church functions. As for parenting methods, Lois was more interested in keeping an immaculate house than she was fulfilling her children's emotional needs. While Don was seen as a little bit too strict with his sons, he had certain expectations for Jeff and his brother, but it often seemed that the boys didn't meet their father's standards and it was also said that the boys were physically abused as well. While other family members have never confirmed the abuse claims, the neighbors of the Lundgrens have stated witnessing physical cruelty by both Don and Jeff. 
According to them, Jeff once nailed a rabbit to a slab of wood before beating it to death. Certainly not a good sign. Through middle and high school, Jeff was a loner. He was a good-looking young man, and his personality did not match his appearance. Jeff was seen as distant and arrogant, and was widely disliked by his peers. Outside of school, Jeff worked at his uncle's furniture store and learned to hunt with his father. Don, Jeff's father, was absolutely devoted to hunting and his gun collection, which included black powder weapons, similar to those used at the time of the Revolutionary War. While Don might have been a stern father, Jeff loved to spend hours and hours with him, cleaning the weapons and learning everything he possibly could about guns. After graduating from high school, Jeff attended Central Missouri State University and spent most of his time at a student house sponsored by RLDS. There, Jeff met a young woman named Alice Keeler. The two soon began dating, and before you knew it, they were inseparable. You could even say it was more of an obsession than a healthy kind of romance, especially since Jeff seemed to not be able to be without Alice by his side even for a minute. However, there was a problem. Jeff's family did not approve of his girlfriend. As I mentioned before, the Lundgren family had certain standards, and Alice didn't meet them. Her family lived at a house trailer on a lot outside of Max Creek, and unlike the Lundgrens, rarely participated in church functions. To Jeff's parents, Alice was lower class, and they believed their son could do much better. There's a similar story in literature. Maybe you've heard of it. Romeo and Juliet. If you keep two kids apart, that's only going to drive them closer together. So as you can guess, Jeff was not having it. He was determined to be with Alice. And so regardless of the opinions of his parents, Jeff eventually got Alice pregnant and married her in the late spring of 1970. Shortly after the wedding, Jeff enlisted in the U.S. Navy. He served in the Vietnam War before honorably being discharged in 1974. Afterward, Jeff and his family tried to settle in San Diego, California, but due to economic problems, they moved back to Missouri. During this time, Jeff had really started to show his true colors, his shady side, by stealing from various employers, and it was just about to get worse. In Missouri, the family's struggles continued, and they eventually moved again, this time to Kirtland, Ohio. There, Jeff had a job working for an RLDS church as a temple guide. While the position was non-paying, it provided housing for him and his family. During this time, Jeff also taught classes on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. However, the old klepto Jeff had not gone away, and he was caught stealing from the temple. And not just some pocket change. It's believed he embezzled possibly as much as $40,000. As a result, Jeff was obviously fired, and the family was forced to move out of their housing in October 1987. Eventually, Jeff was excommunicated from the RLDS church altogether, but at that point, he had actually started building a foundation of his own religion. Somehow, through his classes and views of the Bible, Jeff had begun attracting followers. When he and his family, including four children at this point, then moved into a rented farmhouse located at 8671 Chardon Road, some of those followers literally followed them. One such group was the Avery family. Father Dennis, Mother Cheryl, teenagers Trina and Rebecca, and seven-year-old Karen. However, the Averys were a little different. Unlike other members who lived with the Lundgren family in the farmhouse, they lived in their own apartment and chose not to hand over all of their funds to their leader, which Jeff considered sinful. As a result, while the family was devoted to him, Jeff actually disliked Dennis and the rest of his family and talked about their disloyalty behind their backs. Jeff didn't like the fact that the Averys were not as easily brainwashed as his other followers. Eventually, Jeff, the self-proclaimed prophet, began talking about the end of days 
and insisted that his followers learn how to use firearms properly. There were frequent lessons discussing the impending apocalypse and other violent events Jeff was predicting. He also said he would bring his followers to Zion, a higher state of being, where they would be witness to the return of Jesus Christ. According to Jeff, to reach Zion, they had to sell their worldly possessions and retreat to the wilderness. And his followers were like, yeah, yeah, cool, let's do that. And so every member of the group, or as you can call it at this point, a cult, began making arrangements to follow Jeff wherever he was about to take them. That included the Averys. However, the family was unaware that Jeff had other plans for them. On April 17, 1989, the Avery family was invited to the farmhouse for dinner. While everybody else was able to notice the ominous atmosphere, the family of five was completely oblivious. Afterward, while his wife was helping with the dishes, Dennis was asked to help sort through some camping equipment in the barn next to the farmhouse. However, as soon as he stepped inside the barn, Dennis suddenly felt an excruciating pain. He had been shot with a stun gun. The voltage of the stun gun was not enough to knock Dennis unconscious, so five of Jeff's followers jumped him and taped him up so he couldn't move or speak. He was then carried further inside the barn and thrown into a pit that had been dug days before. Right after, Jeff stepped forward out of the darkness, holding a 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol. While he was the one holding the gun, in Jeff's head, the whole situation was Dennis's fault. Jeff said, quote, I had told Dennis Avery what would happen if he continued to sin, continued to deny the truth, continued to reject my teachings, but he continued to choose darkness rather than light, and he had no one to blame but himself for leading himself and his family into this pit of damnation. Then, without hesitation, Jeff pulled the trigger, twice, before commanding, Okay, bring the next one. One by one, each member of the Avery family was brought into the barn, bound, gagged with tape, and thrown into the six-by-seven-foot pit before being shot multiple times. Jeff's 19-year-old son Damon and cult members Ronald, Daniel, Richard, and Greg were aiding their leader, both terrified and mesmerized by what they had just witnessed. After all, Jeff had just told them that the family of five had to be sacrificed to help them reach the promised land. And that sounded a lot fancier than just saying what he meant, which was he wanted to get rid of the followers he was not able to fully control. However, it soon turned out that Jeff's iron grip had begun to slip on other members of the group as well, with fatal consequences. In December 1989, unhappy cult member Larry Keith Johnson contacted the police in Kansas City, Missouri, and told them absolutely everything. And why had Larry suddenly become so unhappy that he decided to snitch on his own beloved leader? Because his wife Catherine had been selected by Jeff to become his second wife in a polygamist relationship. Hmm, that'll do it. Larry provided authorities with a map of the barn, marking of the spot where the Averys were buried. Their bodies were discovered at the beginning of January 1990. Just days later, Jeff and his wife and son were arrested at a motel in California in addition to 10 other cult members. During his trial, Jeff told the jury that he and his cult members were preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ, which they believed would occur at the RLDS temple in Kirtland. He also said a combination of messages from the Bible told him to kill the Averys. Jeff really just tried his best to convince the jury that he was the real deal, as if it would have changed anything. He said, quote, It's not a figment of my imagination that I can, in fact, talk to God. I am a prophet of God. I am even more than a prophet, and I've never been to law school, but even I can tell you that being a self-proclaimed prophet doesn't absolve you from murder. 
and after just two hours of deliberation, Jeffrey Lundgren was found guilty on five counts of aggravated murder and kidnapping. He was sentenced to death. Alice Lundgren and her son Damon were given a lifetime supply of prison, as well as Ronald Luff and Daniel Kraft, who were both present in the barn when the Averys were killed. Five of the cult members were released in 2010 or early 2011 after roughly 20 years of incarceration. Jeffrey Lundgren was executed by lethal injection on October 24, 2006. Ironically, in his last statements, Jeff mentioned Catherine, saying, quote, I profess my love for God, my family, for my children, for Kathy. I am because you are. Yet the decision to marry another man's wife had been the reason for his downfall in the first place. That's today's 10-minute murder. Brief and bingeable true crime. Thanks for listening, and uh, I apologize for it being a little bit longer than it should have been today. No, I'm not. I almost lied to you just now. I'm not really sorry. I tried to talk a little bit faster because I knew I had more information to give you, but I ended up not doing that, and I forgot. So, there's that. I'm sorry for forgetting. I'll say that. I'm sorry I forgot to talk faster. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, if you are brand new to 10-Minute Murder or have not subscribed yet, uh, take a moment to do that now and you won't miss any episodes in the future. Connect with 10-Minute Murder on social media. All the links for that are in the show notes of this episode. And tell a friend about 10-Minute Murder if you think that they might be into brief true crime. Thank you for listening to 10-Minute Murder. Be safe and have a good night.